We're looking tonight to 1 Timothy chapter 3 in our scriptures. 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's an unusual verse, a beautiful verse that many may not think of as a Christmas text, but it is a verse that summarizes the life and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ and all that the church stands for, our message that we are to give forth to a world around us day by day. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. The Bible is a vast ocean without breadth or measure or depth, and the truth that it teaches us about the Godhead. Romans 11 verse 33 tells us, Oh, the depths of the riches, both the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments in his ways past finding out. Who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? And who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. All the written record that we have from God declares us the glories of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament prophets point to his coming. All the sacrifices of the temple worship foreshadowed his atoning work at Calvary. The New Testament writers declare his miraculous birth. They trace out the deeds he performed while he limited himself for a while on this earth for those 33 years. John declares, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, even as if the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was the Lamb of God, come to once and for all uh, take away the sin of the world. When you reduce all the Bible down to its purest essence, the most important truth, out of all of its 66 books and thousands of verses, what is the most important for the church to uphold and to teach and to show forth to the world? Paul outlines that for us in this verse in 1 Timothy 3.16. This is at once a doxology and a statement of faith. Uh, this is our creed. This is what we hold to. Our message is Jesus Christ. Our creed is the Lord Jesus Christ. At the center of all that we preach or teach or hold is the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the Savior of men. When our resurrected Lord walked with his, his disciples on that Emmaus road, later the same day he met with others for the breaking of bread, he miraculously in the room where they were, appeared and said, Peace be unto you. Luke says at first they were afraid and uh, terrified and frightened. And then he said, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Then he opened their understanding and that they might understand the scripture. And Luke records in chapter 24, verse 46, where, where he taught them, Thus it is written, and it, thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins 
should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. The disciples from that day forth preached the person work of Jesus Christ, who he was and what he did. Paul made Jesus Christ the focal point of all of his preaching. He declared to the Corinthians, we preach Christ crucified. Uh, he went on in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2 to say, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. In 2 Corinthians 4, 5, he reminded them, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. The person and work of Jesus Christ is the message of the New Testament church. We dare not get sidetracked on any other thing than the work of our Savior. The New Testament is a story of the bridegroom, our Savior, and his bride, the church. The songwriter said, I th sing of my blessed Redeemer. I think of him all the day long. I sing, for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. Our hymn books declare his glories. Our, our songs describe his attributes and his acts. We sing, for example, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Why? The first verse tells us, our faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. We trust the ever-living one. His wounds for us shall plead. Many Bible teachers think that 1 Timothy 3.16 was one of the early hymns of the church, and it does read like a, a hymn. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Others say it was one of the earliest creeds that they would recite and, and remind one another of what the Lord teaches. Well, it has six lines that rehearse in plain teaching the cardinal doctrines of Jesus Christ. A hymn is much more difficult to compose than a, than a sermon. I was using this text in staff devotions this morning, and I said what, what it takes a preacher an hour to do and, and trying to tell a songwriter in just, with a, just a few words uh, captures the thought in an inimitable way, a beautiful way. What an amazing thing to do. And I challenge the, the staff, and I would challenge you to take your, your pen and try to pen a hymn. It's a very difficult thing to do, but it would be a very good exercise. I think you ought to keep with your Bible the hymn book because there's so much wonderful truth there for us, and it wouldn't hurt to try to pen something about the Savior based on some scripture and, and see if you can do that. Well, there are so few good hymns because it's so difficult to do. And we praise the Lord for the great body of hymnody that has been left to us down through the ages and is being written today. There, there are many contemporary people who are writing some beautiful hymns that tell forth the person and work of Jesus Christ. Doctrines and description is harnessed and reduced to its barest essence in a hymn. Here the Holy Spirit of God records for us one of the, the rarest songs, the earliest songs of the early church. It is a jewel in every respect. And we notice its uniformity. Six verbs all in the same tense. It is perfect in its, in its parallelism. There is a parallel between the flesh and the spirit. The second parallel is between the angels and men or nations. The third parallel is between the world and glory or earth and heaven. Our text then is a hymn, and the theme of the song, the theme of this hymn, is the person and work of Jesus Christ, 
who is the essence of the mystery of godliness. It is mysterious to our finite minds how our God could, our limitless God, the heavens cannot contain him, how the limitless Son of God could condescend and come to earth to take on a human body. He who a thousand worlds could not contain or 10,000 universes could not restrain voluntarily limited himself to be housed in human flesh. What a mystery that is. Why he would even want to do that, it surprises us and it is amazing to us. This is the great mystery surrounding our great Savior. He who became a baby is at the same time the ancient of days. He who had a birthday on a mournful day and a mournful day of death is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. He who owns the wealth of the world walked among us as the poorest of men with nowhere to lay his head. This is a great mystery. Any way you look at it, his life, his incarnation, his life on earth, his work on our behalf, all of it is a great mystery. And it's one that we'll be peering into and studying and praising throughout the endless ages. The triune Godhead now fully revealed to us. Our Lord says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. How gracious of God, who is spirit and cannot be seen with human eyes, took on a body so that we could see what God is like. We would never fully know uh, what God is like if Christ had not taken on a body and come to this earth. I want you to notice, first of all, that Jesus Christ was revealed in a body. The word manifest here, it says great without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest. He was openly shown. It does not mean to create or to bring into existence. It means to show. And our Lord has always been. He, like the Father and the Holy Spirit, have no beginning. He is the self-existent one. And admittedly, that is a mystery to our finite minds. We cannot comprehend it. Christ, make no mistake about it, existed before Bethlehem. In John 5, verse 58, 8, verse 58, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus prayed in his great intercessory prayer, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee, before the world was. He speaks of that time before he became uh, a baby, before he took on flesh, the glory and the fellowship that he and his father enjoyed. When Jesus becomes flesh, became flesh, although he existed in the form of God, the Bible speaks of his emptying himself and, and took on the body of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. The Lord Jesus Christ made the invisible God, visible to us, to human eyes. And so Jesus was revealed in the flesh. How glad we are that he was manifested in the flesh. He, it is merely declaring that Jesus had a body. This phrase was manifest in the flesh. Our Lord had a body. This does not mean he was sinful, but that he was fully human. He was not an apparition or a ghost or a spirit. He took on a literal human body. Hebrews 4 verse 15 reminds us, We have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted or tested like as we are. Yet, the great difference is, he did no sin, yet without sinning on his part. It is the cardinal doctrine that our 
that cults and false religions of the world seek to deceive and to, to deny is that Jesus Christ was God and took on a literal body. Satan always attacks the person work of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what some group teaches, you always zero in on who was Jesus and what did he do. And that is the essence of all the teaching. And Satan tries to attack that. He alone is the only Savior, the Son of God, the Eternal One without beginning or ending, and that he is the living, eternal God in the flesh. But the second part of our hymn not only tells us that he was manifest or openly shown. And let me go back and say that phrase, and without controversy, someone may say, well, it's very controversial. How could he say that? It's one of the most controversial things that divides people this very day, that Jesus, that, that God had a son, his name was Jesus Christ. But without controversy, in the, the Greek means to say the same thing. It's a little bit different in our English renderings. Homologeo. To say the same thing. And this is the truth which everyone who truly believes in the Savior holds this doctrine that, that Jesus Christ had a body, came into this world, and that, that they say the same thing, that Jesus Christ is Lord. The unanimous conviction of all those who are true believers is that great is the mystery of godliness, that God took on flesh. But not only was he manifest, the Bible tells us he was justified in the spirit. Now the word justified means to declare righteous. When a sinner repents and believes on Jesus Christ, God the righteous judge declares us righteous. How then could Jesus Christ, who we've just described as one being sinless, be uh, justified? Well, he was declared righteous. He was declared righteous with respect to his spiritual nature. And that's what God the Father was saying at his baptism. He, looks, he speaks from heaven at the baptism of Jesus. few times does God the Father speak, and this is one of them. And he says this, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Openly, that uh, those present could hear. John, 1 John 2 verse 1 calls him Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the righteous one, the sinless one. Hebrews 4.15, as we've mentioned, he was tempted at all points as we are yet without sin. This is the distinguishing uh, point from the God-man, Jesus Christ, and all other men. He was without sin. Hebrews 5, verse 9, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Hebrews 7, verse 26, describes him as holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. All these wonderful, glorious declarations of our Savior. Jesus Christ was the sinless sacrifice for us, the righteous one. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ was the God-man. He was 100% God and 100% man. Even in his human body, he was fully man, and in his divine nature, he was fully God. None was like him. And so he was, in that regard, justified or declared to be righteous in the Spirit. Romans 1 verse 4 declares him to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. His raising from the dead, he said, I have the power to lay down my life and to take it up again. He, his raising from the dead shows that he is... The, the Son of God, that without sin. 
And by his resurrection, he proved his sinlessness, thus justifying him, declaring that he was the eternal, sinless Son of God. Many were crucified on crosses as contemporaries of Jesus. If you were to go through that area, in the Roman government crucified countless ones, but only one of them rose on the third day. And by the power of his own might, by the power of the Holy Spirit raised from the dead, had he any sin of his own, he would have stayed dead as the penalty of his sin. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. It's an eternal death. But Jesus Christ did not stay in the grave. The affirmation of his perfect righteousness came when the Holy Spirit released him from the dead, fully paying the debt of our sin and the sting of death and all that uh, sin brings about, Jesus uh, dealt with. He was also vindicated by his sinless life of obedience to God, which declared him righteous. And by the testimony of the Holy Spirit, who affirmed his righteousness again by raising him from the dead. So he is the God manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. And then the third point of our hymn tells us this, that Jesus, or the truth was that, of this hymn is that Jesus was seen by angels. Now, the angels played... A, important role, as we've already seen, in his birth and announcing the message, first of all, uh, to uh, Zacharias and then to Mary and then to the shepherds, as we saw last Lord's Day evening. They appeared to the shepherds and told them to rush to Bethlehem. And while they themselves hovered over that spot with holy awe, trying to comprehend his incarnation. Don't you know, as the Godhead discussed, God the Son coming to earth, the talk, if you will, among the angels, how can this be? How can he who has been eternally with us leave us and take on a body and become one of them? I can only imagine the surmising and the discussion of the thoughts among the angelic hosts. See them hovering over that manger where Jesus lay. There, the infinite Son of God has become so helpless, humanly speaking. Is there anything more helpless than a baby? He who spoke the world into existence, has limited himself in an unbelievable way. Can you imagine the the mystery and the wandering among the angelic hosts? They watched with fixed attention as he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. They watched transfixed as the devil came against him in the wilderness temptation. And as the wicked one threw at him all the enticements which would easily attract any regular man, any sinful man would have fallen uh, to the, the wiles of Satan in that great temptation. Any natural human being would have been weak and have fallen. They ministered to him, the Bible tells us, at the end of that 40-day period. How precious is that? How sweet that picture is of the angels coming and bringing food and ministering to our Lord. We don't know how many there were or who they were, could it have been Gabriel, Michael? We're not sure. But the Bible tells us they ministered to him at the end of that 40-day temptation. An angel came and tenderly ministered to him in Gethsemane, where his sweat was as great drops of blood. And on the, the awful weight of our sin, crushing him, his heart and his soul, crushing him, our sin already pressing down upon him and making a physical impact upon his body even before the the thorn and the nails and the the pierced side. In Calvary, they hovered around the cross, willing, 
If he'd said just a word, 10,000 of them would have rushed down with their flaming swords and delivered him. In an instant, two of them clothed in white raiment with white from the, the wardrobe of heaven were at the tomb. And one sat at one end and the other at the foot where the body of Jesus lay. What a sight. Angels stood on the Mount of Olives as his glorious ascension into heaven and his disciples standing there befuddled, wondering how can this be, saying, Why stand ye here gazing? Lift up your heads, O ye gates, lift up, be, and be lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. I'm sure they shouted that refrain as the Son of God went back to heaven, completing his person work here on the Lord. But they told those waiting there, This same Jesus, in like manner, as ye've seen him go up, will return again. The Bible says that this, these angelic hosts are, are consumed with one thing, the incarnation of the Son of God. The Bible tells us which things the angels desire to look into. They wonder at it. Why would God become a human? They cannot understand redemption. You and I, who are the recipients of the great grace of God, sinners condemned with no hope, who have been gloriously saved by his work. We understand what it is to have a Savior. The angels have not experienced, if you have not experienced salvation, you cannot understand why people are so moved by it. Why do people cry when they see the cross or when they're moved by the singing of the hymns or the preaching of the gospel? How it moves us to the very core. An angel who has great affection for the Son of God has not, cannot fully comprehend what we feel and sense and have experienced because of our great redemption. They can only surmise. They can only wonder. It's almost like when we observe someone from another culture, another language talking. We do not know what they're saying. We don't know what they're sharing. Maybe they're from the same country, and they meet, and they, they share some things in their language, and maybe some cultural things, some food or something. But we're outside of that. We cannot comprehend it. It makes no sense to us. I mean, we can understand that these people are enjoying one another. They may have tears in their eyes, and we wonder about it. In that sense, and just a little small way of describing it, the angels watch as we sing our songs, Hallelujah, what a Savior, and all these glorious songs that tell about the personal work of our Savior, and they wonder at it. They wonder what salvation is. They wonder what it must be like. Before the throne, they eternally sing, Worthy is the Lamb of God that was slain. This is the gospel. This is our salvation. God became a man to save us from sin. The preaching of his cross may be foolishness to the stupidity of an unsaved mind, the dullness of an unsaved mind, but it is the theme upon which the flaming ones meditate. They study. They peer into. And I think in some way we will gloriously teach them and in, in, in the heaven, the days to come about what salvation is like as we lift our voices in song. It will be our song throughout the endless days. To thee be endless praise, for thou for us has died. Be thou, O Lord, through endless days adored and magnified. Well, the next truth that we see in this hymn is that, that it says that he was preached unto the Gentiles. Now, just before his ascension, our Lord gave us the marching orders of the church that I want to remind us tonight. We prayed for our missionaries and speak often that the commission to go ye into all the world 
and preached the gospel to every creature has been committed to us and has not been rescinded and will not be, we will not be released from that command until Jesus Christ comes again. Ye shall be my witnesses. He didn't say you should think about it, you should pray about it. You will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And what do we witness? We witness His work, His person, who He is, and what He accomplished, what He came to do. No nation should be left without the gospel message. There should be no language that the Bible is not uh, uh, transcribed into and translated. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And the Bible very clearly tells us there will be people from every tribe, every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation on earth that makes up the great host in heaven. Well, not only that, but the fifth thing we see is he was believed on in the world. Let me go back just a moment. Remember on the day of Pentecost when the the gospel was preached by Peter and over 3,000 men. And, of course, if you multiply others, I'm sure the women and others, it was a greater number than that. 3,000 men, we're told, were saved. That, That was a Jewish audience. And then... We, as we study the book of Acts, we see how the gospel moved from, from the Jews to the Samaritans to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles believed on him. That was a strange thing to the Jewish mind. Remember when news came back that Cornelius' household had been saved and, and the Samaritans had been saved. And, and uh, it was an amazing thing to them. The plan of God was fulfilled by the apostles. Preaching, their preaching result. It resulted in the saving faith of thousands and thousands down to this very day. And we we rejoice at it. At the very first public preaching of his gospel, thousands were saved. The Holy Spirit honored that preaching and many were brought into the, the body of Christ. And this is what the true church continues to preach today. After all these years, repent and believe the gospel. Not only was he believed on in the world, that's what's going on even now. As we as brides tarry here, waiting for his coming, we give out his message. And finally, we see that Jesus Christ was received up to glory. Why? Because his work was finished. His work here on earth was complete. When he cried out from the cross, it is finished. That's what he came to do. He was born to die. The Christmas story is not complete until we go to Calvary and the open tomb and His ascension. That's the completed story there. We don't worship a baby in a manger. We don't worship a Christ on a cross. We worship a risen Savior who sits at the right hand of the throne of God making intercession for us. That is the full story. And though we emphasize the birth at this time of the year and His death at, 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 at the time when we talk preach and and teach and sing about his death but the whole message is his person and work he's gone to prepare a place for us he's exalted on high in six short stanzas this hymn summarizes the gospel god became man he died for our sins he triumphed over death he was honored by the angels feared by demons and received up to glory oh what a beautiful statement of faith It is simple, but it covers the person work of Jesus Christ. And let us hold it. Let us teach it. Let us make this the theme of our song and the theme of all that we do. Great is the mystery of godliness. A mystery is something that was hidden in the Old Testament and not fully revealed, but but, but is answered and shown and given to us in the New Testament. This mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh, 
only prophesied by the Old Testament prophets, but fully manifested in the New Testament, justified in the Spirit, declared to be righteous, seen of angels, angels ministered from his birth to his resurrection to his ascension, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And we as his church say, even so, Lord Jesus, come. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if he came at this very time? We're looking for him. I wonder if you're prepared for the coming of the Lord. Uh, I think we should every day pray and look and watch and prepare our heart. This should purify us, this teaching that Jesus Christ is coming again. Well, may the Lord bless our efforts to make him known.